Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 35. This corresponds with the week of August 14th of 2023. This issue is a discussion of fructose and pregnancy, a discussion of fiber and infant development, and then a review of the book, The Carpenter and the Gardener by Alison Gopnik. Okay, so let's get started. This is a short version of the fructose story in tandem with the podcast that came out a few weeks ago with Dr. Rick Johnson, where we go deep. We are going to discuss the survival switch and fructose metabolism in specific as it relates to pregnancy. It will be another life-changing discussion for many of us. So what is fructose? Fructose, as discussed in many of the podcasts and newsletters over the past year, is a natural sugar found in fruit, honey, and root vegetables. Historically, humans consumed fructose in these natural whole foods and did so moderately. Since the 1970s, however, there has been a major rise in fructose consumption primarily as a beverage. We are consuming it daily in fruit juices and sweetened drinks like soda, energy drinks, and sports drinks. The advent of government-subsidized high-fructose corn syrup has provided companies a very cheap source of processed sugar to sweeten beverages and processed foods. Cheap and sweet. Not a good combination for humans. Fructose is much sweeter than glucose, making it the driver of most sweet foods taste. From the 2010 National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, we observed data that Americans consumed around 24 grams of fructose per day in the 1970s. Now that number is in the 55 gram per day range. Adolescents take the prize at 70 plus grams a day. This is equal to 17 teaspoons or packets of sugar a day. That is a bolus of calories, but this is not the whole story. Why does it matter? And what is the perspective that's super important for women and pregnancy? Because it is driving metabolic disease in most Americans, costing us all countless healthcare dollars and lost health days of life, or what we call health span, the newest data by Dr. Rick Johnson points to fructose problem driving perinatal complications. Let's do a quick review of the fructose story. One major factor in the perinatal preeclampsia problem in the United States is the constant and excessive exposure to the monosaccharide fructose and the disaccharide sucrose, which is a combination of one molecule of glucose and one molecule of fructose in something that we call table sugar or sucrose. How does the body see fructose? The liver is the location for the metabolism of most of the fructose, whereas glucose is metabolized everywhere, especially the muscles and the brain. The majority of ingested fructose goes to the liver where it is metabolized to fat without the control of the hormone insulin and feedback negative regulation. This is not good. The body likes to control the metabolic system through feedback loops that shut off when calories, sugar, fat contents are sufficient. Fructose directly turns on genes that increase fat deposition. Why would this be? Let us look at gorillas. They gorge on fruit during the natural fruit season in the fall in order to produce fat for the long winter. This is sort of like a polar bear gorging on seals or other sources of food in the, in the fall to survive the deep winter. Nature has a plan. Where does it go wrong? Humans. We're the problem. We take seasonal fruit and give ourselves access to them year-round. We make juice of this fruit and demand that children get juice or milk in school when water is the best choice. We make high fructose corn syrup cheap and accessible all year long in soda and beverages that contain, contain lots of sugar or processed foods that contain lots of sugar like cakes and candies. 
Oops. We now have produced a mismatch of our genetically perceived environment and the true environment we find ourselves in. We have a genetically predisposed seasonal fruit metabolism style with fructose exposure all year long. This also happens through an excessive fructose ingestion as foods, beverages, or even starches through a reverse fructose engineering process called the polyol pathway, i.e. you can take large starch, long starch molecules from potatoes, from rice, from wheat as bread or pasta, and the body can reverse engineer that starch molecule, which is polymers of glucose, into fructose via the polyol pathway through an intermediary called sorbitol. So part of the science is also that fructose can drive a decrease in the enzyme called lipoprotein lipase. And by the, by the name lipoprotein lipase, meaning enzyme involved in it, this is the enzyme that's involved in keeping fat particles moving throughout the body coming out of fat cells. Fructose also has an effect on increasing the transportation of genes, excuse me, the transcription of genes that promote glucose production in the liver and thus more glucose is released. The end result is excess blood sugar, the development of insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, mellitus, and leptin resistance. The science goes much deeper than this, but for this discussion, we're going to keep it this simple. So, Fructose used to be useful during periods of feast and famine, which is what humans had for almost all of our existence. What used to be helpful, unfortunately, now is dangerous with our constant exposure through our modern industrialized diet. But as always, nature always has a plan, and it's up to us to decide whether or not we want to follow that plan. Let's read the abstract from Dr. Johnson's recent paper that was published in the journal Nature Hypertension Research. He says, quote, preeclampsia is a hypertensive disorder of pregnancy and is due to abnormal placentation. The pathogenesis remains unclear. Fructose is biologically distinct from glucose and has a critical role in fetal growth in early pregnancy. Many species, including humans, produce fructose in their placenta during the first trimester to assist fetal growth and survival during a time when hypoxia is significant. Fructose is preferred over glucose in hypoxic tissues and in the developing fetus. Fructose has a critical role in stimulating the production of nucleic acids, lipids, and glycosaminoglycans. Fructose production normally decreases significantly following the establishment of maternal fetal circulation following placentation. However, if there is impaired placentation, local hypoxia will continue to drive fructose production. Excessive fructose metabolism drives endothelial dysfunction, oxidative stress, elevated blood pressure, insulin resistance, fatty liver, and a rise in uric acid and vasopressin levels, all of which are features of the preeclamptic state. In addition to fructose production, dietary fructose, for example, from soft drinks, would be additive and has been reported to be a strong independent risk factor for preeclampsia. Uric acid-associated uric acid endothelial dysfunction disturbs the invasion of the spiral artery, leading to placental ischemia and further placental hypoxia. End quote. So this abstract is again a look at upstream anthropological biology of human survival being suited for a normal environment that we found ourselves in forever, where the placenta has a specific plan during early embryology. The placenta has a poor blood supply for eight plus weeks after the sperm and egg unite. That issue was solved thousands of years ago by, by the placentas choosing to metabolize fructose primarily via glycolysis, where oxygen is not required, leading to the energy requirements being fulfilled in this low oxygen state. 
As Dr. Johnson notes, when the blood supply to the placenta takes hold after that eight-week period, the energy supply switches to glucose metabolism with oxygen, which is more energy-producing and promotes rapid growth. However, it appears that the consumption of fructose via mothers and or the consumption of high-volume starchy foods is driving these metabolic pathways of fructose via the two different pathways as discussed, leading to the same end result decreased fetal placental, placental circulation development, which in turn leads to endothelial dysfunction, oxidative stress, oxidative stress, which is like rusting for humans, increased blood pressure, insulin resistance, excessive fat deposition, all of which trigger a metabolic syndrome-like event that we call preeclampsia. The end product of fructose metabolism following ingestion or internal generation via the polyol pathway is the production of uric acid. This molecule is at the center of all this dysfunction, and it is the reason that we have to counsel pregnant women to avoid excess ingestion of foods and beverages made from fructose, sucrose, and starch. So what do we do? The first thing to do is simple. Reduce and preferably eliminate sugar-laden beverages, including juice. Get soda, juices, coffee beverages that have sugar in them, or sports drinks out of the house. Drink mostly water and unsweetened herbal infusions or teas. Second, reduce how fast the sugar is absorbed by adding fiber to your diet. The best sources of fiber are sweet potatoes, vegetables, beans, whole fruits, as berries. Adding fiber to every meal is a brilliant way to reduce blood sugar spikes. You can also add protein, also slowing down the process of digestion. Third, exercise more to burn sugar so that it can't be used to make fat. This also turns on more glucose transporters to push glucose into the muscle, which decreases the amount that the liver sees, thus decreasing fructose production via the polyol pathway. And as pregnant women have shown for millennia, exercise as walking, even riding bikes and things is totally in, co in connection with a healthy outcome of the pregnancy. So it's a win-win. Fourth, Increase the intake of bright colored vegetables and fruits, which contain natural chemicals to reduce the burden of reactive oxygen species. Spices, dark chocolate, nuts, and berries have very high ORAC scales, which is a measure of oxidative antioxidant strength. Fifth, read labels and avoid foods that have high fructose corn syrup or just fructose in them. Six, Drink lots of water when you eat anything salty to reduce the sodium concentration in the blood, which decreases, again, the activation of the polyol pathway, and thus total fructose production, and thus total uric acid production. My take-home point today, fruit is okay in moderation, sugar drinks are never okay. Listen to the podcast that I went deep with Dr. Johnson, number 50, to gain a really deeper perspective directly from the researcher who is doing the excellent work. Section 2, a literature review piece. We have long known that fiber is important for the human intestinal microbiome, which in turn is critical for immune tolerance and immune solvency. Quote, animal studies have shown that maternal low-fiber diets during pregnancy may impair brain development and function in offspring, but this has not been validated by epidemiologic studies. That comes to us from the book, I mean, excuse me, the article by Miyake in front tiers of nutrition. In a study published in 2023 by Miyake, we see an analysis of 76,000 mothers and their child dyads using data from the, Jap from the Japan Environment and Children's Study. Maternal dietary fiber intake was classified into quintiles, 
of intake and then crossed against developmental norms. Developmental de delay was assessed in five domains, communication, gross motor, fine motor, problem solving, and personal social skills at the age of three years. Quote, results, the lowest intake group of total dietary fiber had a higher risk of delayed communication with an odds ratio of 1.5. Fine motor was a 1.4 odds ratio, problem solving 1.46, personal social skills 1.3, then did the highest intake group. An analysis that excluded the effects of insufficient folic acid intake during pregnancy also showed a similar trend, end quote, Miyake et al., 2023. So for me, the study's pretty simple. It showed the dietary maternal fiber deficiency during pregnancy might influence and increase risk of neurodevelopmental delay in offspring. The obvious answer here is it most likely does because the fiber is involved in metabolism on many of the things we've discussed on this podcast, the most important which of is the microbiome health, which leads to how we metabolize our foods and the metabolites and the byproducts that are fed to the system to help us be healthy. For more on this topic, listen to the podcast that was done in June called The Growing Brain. Section 3. So this is a review of the book Carpenter and the Gardener by Alison Gopnik. I'm a bit of the way through this excellent book. I haven't completed it yet because I'm taking it really slowly because I love it. I'm dog-earing it and underlining it. But that doesn't matter because the vast majority of the awesome information is in that first 100 pages. So there's profound insights in this evolutionary psychologist's view on parenting. Dr. Gopnik, ha, view, her viewpoint has the roles of the carpenter and the gardener emerged to delineate distinct approaches to parenting and education from each independent style. Let's look at the carpenter. A parent who endeavors to sculpt their child's development with a well-defined blueprint, a structured design that shapes and molds their young minds into predetermined forms of success is very common in today's parenting cultural ethos. Witness the volume of parenting books that espouse this type of parenting philosophy. The carpenter parent believes in honesty for the child's benefit, shaping the child's trajectory, methodically molding the clay of youth to construct the envisioned outcome. However, the catch remains the envisioned outcome. Whose is that? And then we meet the gardener, a parent who approaches the nurturing of a child's potential with an altogether different philosophy. The gardener parent creates an environment rich with opportunities, much like a fertile garden, and allows the child to explore and flourish organically. This approach embraces the inherent complexity and unpredictability of a child's growth, acknowledging that the child, like a unique flower, will bloom in its own time and its own distinct way. The metaphorical clay is left on the table in the safe house, in a safe room, with the light and the love for the child to begin to mold it in any way that seems right and honest to them. Now you may wonder which path yields the optimal results. Ah, therein lies the crux of Dr. Gopnik's proposition. The metaphor serves not as a definitive answer, but rather an invitation to ponder the varied shades of parenting and education. Both approaches hold merit, for they underscore the intricate interplay between guidance and autonomy, structure, and freedom. The carpenter with their precision may find moments of immediate impact, while the gardener with their patience might witness an unfolding of unexpected brilliance over time. I think of all things in a yin and yang sort of way. One side generally is not the best answer. It's a blending of the two. Which side do we need more? Which side do we need less of at any time? 
therein lies the difficulty in always making the best decisions, and in parenting, next to impossible. Dr. Dr. Gopnik's parental dualism serves as a reminder that parenting, much like the creative process, is a tapestry woven with diverse threads. It's a dance between shaping and letting be, a delicate balance of influence and allowance. As we navigate the intricate realms of nurturing young minds, we must contemplate when to don the carpenter's tools and when to embrace the gardener's nurturing touch. In the end, the pursuit of fostering a child's development becomes an art, guided by wisdom, intuition, and the intricate understanding that every child is a masterpiece waiting to unfold. I think of the place of the grandmother here or the grandfather. Having much wisdom and time and much patience, they may inadvertently be a major gardener in the process of a child's nurturing. Often, historically, there were a lot of gardeners and carpenters in a child's life because families were extended and there was a lot of opportunity. Nowadays, not so much. So if your parent is only a gardener, you may not have enough carpenter and structure. If your parent is only a carpenter, there may not be enough nourishing gardening going on. So it is that important dichotomy of what is at play here. The wisdom of our elders needs to be assessed time and again for a growth pattern not limited in scope by history or time. History teaches, we listen, and our children iterate in perpetuitum to their best selves. In my view of things that we, as a society, are too structured in the carpenter's regimented parenting style and do not have a balanced view of the gardener leaning in on the process to allow for entropy and patience to win the day. Too much structure and regiment is a way to stifle innovation of thought and action. This idea gets me back to my strong belief in children's play without parental intervention more often than not when they are young. The chaos of childhood and their play is exactly what they need to grow strong and resilient. Folks, I can't tell you how much I highly recommend this book. It's an easy and solid read. There are not that many books that I am thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly thrilled with and think are worthy of everyone's time. But this book is one. Okay, Song of the Week. It Was Always You by Daisy Jones. Last thoughts are free. Imagine a world where the courage to embrace one's true self shines brighter than the allure of fitting in. It is in the audacity to be disliked that we find the genuine spark of individuality illuminating the darkness of conformity. Conformity remains the dark road to the loss of self and purpose that we must struggle against. And struggle we must is in our nature. As always, hug those kids. That's the end of this episode. Appreciate everyone and your time. As always, have a great day. The information provided in this audio casted newsletter is for educational informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional. And is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This audio-casted newsletter does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.